Hear the word of the Lord. Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings, just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, soldier, and peace be with you. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be seen. Woke up today, first major hurdle of the day, conquered. All right. Uh, my name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. If you're visiting with us, uh, through the fall, we worked, we've worked. we been working through the book of Acts, and then um, we did some Christmas stuff because it was Christmas. And then the last three weeks, we've been talking about marriages. If you didn't hear any of it, we figured it all out, uh, right? Say yes so the visitors are impressed. Yes, figured it all out. Uh, if you, all of those sermons are online or if you've got Right Now Media, you can watch all of the services. It's kind of cool. Uh, if you don't know what that is, ask someone at the welcome table. You can get on it for free. So we're diving back into the book of Acts and uh, a story about something that happened in the church last year, maybe it was a year and a half ago. I, I don't really remember. Uh, came to mind in light of this text. Uh, there's a, a ladies group in town that, uses our building as a free workout facility. Uh, if you've ever come in the building and been like, man, it smells kind of locker room mission here, it's because them women be working out. It's like twice a day, there's a group of like 30 ladies that work out in here. And so these ladies were here one evening and uh, a guy from the neighborhood came in looking for someone uh, that could give him some help. Uh, so a bunch of us got these panicked phone calls from terrified women. There was nothing really scary there, but it's like, you know, I'm in a strange building at night and a guy comes walking in. So long story short, this guy uh, was just in a tough spot. He didn't have a bed, didn't have sheets for his bed, needed some clothes, needed some food. And so we helped him out. Uh, we had folks show up at his house and do some cleaning, give him a bed, all this kind of stuff. He comes back to church a couple days later um, saying that, you know, he, he worked at a factory here in town and he had worn through his boots. And so he needed a new, he wanted to know if we could help him get some boots so he could keep going to work. And one of our, our members literally took the boots off his feet and gave him the boots. And I was like, man, this is the real deal. Like, we're the real deal church. This is how you do it. Off his own feet, gave him his boots. And a couple of days later, the guy comes back. He's like, listen, man, running low on gas. Uh, can I get some help getting gas so I can go to church or so I can go to work, make money, get my life together, all this kind of stuff. And we're like, hey, man, we'd love to help you. Here's a Kroger gift card. You can go to Kroger, use a gift card, get gas, you're on your way. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I need gas. I need some cash so I can pay for my gas. And we're like, no, 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 you don't understand. You can use this gift card to pay for gas. He's like, what, you don't trust me? You don't, you don't believe me? And there's like, no, we just, as a church, we don't, 
it's like we don't have the, despite what you may believe, we don't have a vault or something in the office with like, oh, let me get my hundreds out. You know what I mean? Like we don't just keep cash and we don't have a policy of giving cash to people. And when we informed him of this, the man proceeded to lose his mind. Uh, flipping out on us, yelling all kinds of accusations, accusing us of stuff, said awful things to us, and then eventually stormed out of the building. Uh, This was in the wintertime, important detail. Uh, A few days later, another important detail. Uh, My driveway in this encounter is completely cleared of snow. Um, It had been shoveled, it had been taken care of. So just keep that in the back of your mind here for the next few seconds. A couple days later, I don't remember what, why my wife was doing something. Dad's at home with two kids, right? It was already a high-stress environment. Uh, and so I'm sitting there. I got both kids ready to eat. I got the lunch cooked, something incredibly healthy. And I see this same gentleman from the church walking down my driveway with a shovel. And I was like, well, it's about to go down. You know, like, what's going to happen? And so I opened my door, and he's like, excuse me, sir. I'm trying to make some extra money. I'd be happy to shovel your driveway for $25. And I was like, point one, driveway is not needing shoveled. And then I was like, hey, man, you, you remember? And I called him by name. He's like, how do you know my name? And I was like, hey, man, it's me, the guy you yelled at in front of the staff the other day. You know what I mean? Like, and I told him what church I was from. And, you know, like, remember this whole story, dude? And, uh, and again, he lost his mind. Um, my kids are peeking through the window watching this dude cussed me out. He called me a false prophet. He said Jesus was going to destroy our church so that we were just in it for money, that we were liars, like all this filth and foul stuff. And then he finished, this is my favorite part of the line. He finished his tirade by saying, and you're lucky that I don't believe in hurting a man on his own property. (laughs) You know, like what he was saying is like, if we had lucky, we were in my driveway, the, the place of land that I pay property taxes on, because out of principle, mind you, he won't do me violence in my own home with my children watching. You'll say, so I walked inside kind of shaking my head. It was admittedly a bit of a ridiculous scenario. Um, But I remember thinking, or just really, I guess, asking myself, like, what are we doing? You ever have those moments where you do something in the church and you're like, what exactly are we doing here? Or you have an idealistic kind of romantic notion of what being a Christian will be or in these situations doing something. and, And you have these moments of sobriety saying like, you know, we bent over backwards for this guy and we get this in return? Uh, is this what we're after? Or is this what we should expect when we're serving and taking care of people in the church? And, you know, maybe, maybe you come from a church where like you got beaten over, over the head with you got to serve or we, here's all these desperate needs that we have. And if you don't step up and serve, then whatever. Something terrible is going to happen. All of our kids are going to go to hell or something like that. And so it's like, you just constantly got to be serving, constantly got to be doing. Uh, We believe here that service is core to our identity. Jesus saves us uh, out of his service to God and then sends us to go and save or serve people rather in the world. It's not like service isn't optional in the Christian life. It's a core identity of who we are. To become like Jesus, we have to serve. But is this the kind of encounters that God has in mind when he sent us out into the world to serve? And I hear a lot of folks, um, there's a lot of church plants that go around, like we're pro-church planting, our church plants church. 
start new churches. Let's see people come to know Jesus. I'm, I'm for all of that. But in the last few years, it's just so funny to me how often I hear people starting churches because they want to go back to what the early church did. Or they'll say like, you know, we want to be like a first century church or we want to be like the early Christians. And what they're saying is in the early church, they had it figured out, right? They did it all right. They didn't have any of the baggage or issues we have. And what I love about the book of Acts is it gives us this history of the church and shows us, especially with questions like this about service, that they were dealing with the same stuff that we deal with today. Uh, this idealistic notion that they had it all figured it out or they were the experts, it's just not true, y'all. They were people just like we're people and they had problems just like we have problems. And this passage today, I think it helps us set some expectations when it comes to serving. Uh, it, it helps us um, maybe clarify some of our motivations, some of the dangers of living as a servant. In my prayer here, like there's no sales pitch coming just to like, calm you down if you feel like I'm winding you up for something here. There is no like, so we're gonna get 100 servants in 100 days to do 100 acts of kindness or whatever, you know how the church vision stuff goes. Uh, my hope is that we'll, we'll leave here maybe with a little bit of a sober, um, maybe a little bit of a, a sober perspective on what it means to be a servant or our new vision of what's normal for being a servant. And so as the story unfolds, uh, there's a couple of scenarios that I want us to consider. It's not necessarily true that Anytime you serve, this stuff will happen. But these are the kinds of things that typically happen when, when we start giving of ourselves or in, and pointing, caring, taking care of other folks. Uh, so let's, let's dive in here. The first uh, scenario that we may come across, the first thing to be aware of is that when, when we start serving folks, people may applaud us. There could be some applause coming. So what happens here in Acts 14 before the passage that was read for us is that Paul and Barnabas have come to town and they've healed somebody who couldn't walk. And the whole town saw it and they, they go nuts. They, they start going crazy. Um, they, they begin treating Paul and Barnabas like gods. They're, they're so enamored by what they've done. They call Barnabas uh, Zeus and they call Paul Hermes, which if you want to talk about those gods, I'd be happy to talk to you about them. But those were gods that were familiar to them. It makes sense why they would call them these things. And they're treating them like gods. And watch how Paul responds. Verse 15, this is where we started. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. And so Paul gets all of this reaction from the crowd. They're, they're overjoyed with him. They're patting him on the back. And, and Paul says, listen, you guys, listen, we're just guys. We're just dudes like you. We bring you good news. We haven't come to be worshiped by you. We've come so that you might worship somebody else. And what's interesting to me is, um, like on, on the one hand, everyone wants a pat on the back. Uh, it's okay to want to be acknowledged, uh, to be affirmed, to be congratulated. Like some of you guys have jobs where your boss never says anything positive to you. And that's part of the reason you hate your job. Uh, it's okay to want affirmation and to be acknowledged. Uh, but I just try to imagine the power you would have over somebody if they thought that you were a God and they, they were worshiping you. There, there's just so many ways that our service can attract attention and admiration from others. And maybe some of you hear that, like, can you imagine someone thinking you're a God? And you're like, that would be kind of awesome. Go get my gas for me. Go get groceries for me. Cook food for me. Imagine what you could do if someone thought you were a God. When, when people start clapping for us, 
it brings with it the temptation to want even more of it. And the danger is that we become a people who serve in order to get the applause. And maybe you're like, not me. Like, I don't have a, I don't stand on a stage for my job or I don't, you know. It doesn't have to be the applause of a big crowd. Uh, maybe you want the pastors to notice you. You want the pastors to see you as a good guy or a great lady. Uh, maybe you want to impress a girl. Welcome to youth ministry, right? If, you're a, if you became a Christian in your teen years, you're looking for the most extreme example of something wild to do because there's that girl at the Bible study that's going to think you're awesome. I see this a lot in our church. Maybe you love the feeling of rescuing somebody. You know, someone who's in a tight spot, who's at the end of the rope, and you're the one. You're the one who's willing to go to the hard places or do the, the difficult thing. When people start clapping for us, whatever it might be, um, I think it moves us or uh, forces us to consider our motivations. Why are we doing this? Paul knew there were serious dangers in being motivated by the applause, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but it's worth just taking a breather here for a second and consider what is motivating us. Are you motivated by the needs of others? So you see all of this need out there, and who, if not you? Maybe you're motivated by a desire to be noticed. Maybe you don't do much of anything because you're motivated by a fear of being noticed, and so you want to remain anonymous and hide. When you look at the ways you feel drawn to serve, are you only drawn to the, the flashy, impressive kinds of service? One of the funniest things to me about being a pastor, and I don't know if this is every church or if it's just like kind of our brand of churches, it's interesting to me how many men God calls to preach Sunday sermons and how few men God seems to have called to go hang out with high school students with our S2 ministry. There's times in this church where it seems like God has totally forgotten to call and equip entire segments of our church for service. A hundred guys will be like, oh, the Lord just really put a burden on me to preach on Sundays. Well, we've got, I think, three guys that are going to the high school to hang out with high school students and tell them about Jesus. Like, can you believe God failed us? <laughs> if you haven't caught what I'm saying here, I don't think it's God who screwed up. Isn't it interesting? Consider some of the flashy ways Jesus served people. He spent time with drunks and prostitutes. So much so that that became part of his reputation. It became a threat to his ministry. We won't listen to you. You hang out with those drunks and the hookers. Can you imagine what would happen if word got out that like one of our staff people was hanging out with drunks and hookers? Would the assumption be they're doing ministry? I mean, for most of us, that dude's getting a phone call. That lady's getting a phone call. Jesus washed people's feet. Most of us think feet are funky. Amen? Like, when's the last time you, my wife will barely touch my feet? Uh, when's the last time you touched someone's feet that aren't your own? Jesus cared for the sick. And we carry around hand sanitizer and load up before going into Target, let alone like, I'm not going to the hospital. That's where the sick people are. <laughs> and I get it, y'all, I'm right there. But I mean, I feel like every Saturday night, my wife and I are on our knees saying, Lord, just put a hedge of protection around our children going to church tomorrow, right? Like with all those other sick pagan babies, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> terrified of getting sick, let alone 
ultimately, Jesus allowed himself to be brutally executed. Arrested on charges that weren't true. Many of the ways that God calls us to serve will be painful and probably unremarkable. So why do you serve? Are you a selective servant? Going to the places where you'll be noticed and it'll be flashy and impressive? Or are you a willing servant? Going wherever there's opportunity, wherever the Spirit leads you. And in the next scene, we see what happens when our motivations are skewed. And and the scenario is that despite our service, despite our best intentions, people may turn on us. So again, Paul, I just want to be real clear in this section. Paul was not after self-worship. He he didn't show up here to say, I hope these people start worshiping me. Um, Paul was there to tell them the good news that in Christ, they can be reconciled to God. And when they take this message sideways, Paul starts flipping out a little bit. And so in verse 18, he says, uh, or sorry, in the verses we read, he's saying like, don't worship us, y'all. Like we're just guys, but this doesn't slow them down. And so a few verses later, uh, we only get a couple of the words, but just try to imagine the scene. Verse 18, even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from what? You see that word? Sacrificing to them. Uh, Can you imagine the scene? These people are so amped up about what Paul is saying to them. They're so impressed by Paul and Barnabas. The fervor gets, like, this is a charismatic service cranked to 11. They're so hyped up. They're like, get the goats, y'all. We got to start slitting throats right now. Can you imagine the scene in the street? Now, I don't, I'm yet to meet somebody that's like, I really hope somebody slaughters a goat for me, right? Like, that sounds weird to us. Um, but what about, what would you think if someone wanted your autograph or wanted their picture taken with you? Doesn't that sound a little bit cool? Let's be honest. Or you get off an airplane and someone notices you and maybe like, I'm an introvert. I don't really want to be the center of attention, but in the back of your mind, I'd be like, but if someone wanted, if someone wanted to take their picture with me, I'm not saying I would do it. I'm just saying if they, you know what I mean? Like, Isn't there this desire for all of us to be a big deal or or something in us that wants to be important and noteworthy? But listen, when our service is motivated by applause or the desire to rescue, we can become the object of people's faith. This is what has happened here. And it's not Paul or Barnabas's intention, but this crowd, all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas become the object of their faith. And the same thing can happen to us. People can start to look to us, to trust us, to fix them. Um, They'll set their hopes on us. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've spent years trying to rescue somebody. We see this play out in the modern celebrity pastor craze. I remember when I was an intern, I went to a conference with one of the other pastors here at Sojourn and I got to meet this like big famous celebrity pastor, right? And we were all, we were all going to dinner together. I was like, man, this is so cool. I'm with like, I'm with one of the guys. I've seen, I've seen him on Fox News kind of a thing. And he was like, this place is so weird, man. Somebody just asked me to autograph their Bible. Can you, can you imagine that? When I saw that, I was like, this is messed up, you guys. Um, if you... I don't want to be presumptuous, but just don't ever ask me to autograph your Bible. Because if you do, I'll have to smack you. Like, <laughs> we, we see this, even if it's not the celebrity pastor deal, 
which a hundred years ago, people would have been so confused by. Um, but we see the way we play, we see this play on the way we elevate the preacher as some kind of like mystical, spiritual guru. And, and how do I know that? Well, because I get asked questions like that I'm supposed to know what to do about your finances and your kids and your marriage and your future and your investments and should you retire and your, God's calling on you. Like, I don't know, man. I'm reading the same Bible you are, you know? Maybe you don't know. I read the same Bible you read. Like there's something magical happens on this stage where whoever's on the stage, all of a sudden they have this special spiritual power and the only person that can have anything to say to me about God is the guy who gets paid to talk about the Bible to you. My point is, it's, it's all right to want to talk to the preacher at your church. It's, it's all right to want to hear somebody else's insight or to enjoy the podcast that you listen to or, or whatever it is. My point is, if people's faith is in us, scary things will happen eventually. The applause can feel good on the front end. We can get tempted to soak it up and enjoy it. Watch what happens. Verse 19, some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. Keep in mind now, this is one verse. This is the next verse from these people sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas. So a new crowd comes into town, they've got new ideas, and all of a sudden they're on the other side. We don't know what was said, but the people turned from Paul and Barnabas. When you are the object of someone's faith, it doesn't take much to go from the hero to the villain. When you seek to prop yourself up as a savior, you set others up for disaster. Their faith will be on a shaky foundation and it won't take much for it to crumble. And one thing that I see play out over and over and over again is that when a false God falls down, he never falls down easy. It's never, an idol never just gently falls off to the side as you turn from that and, and return to the Lord. It's always devastating. We see the intensity with this crowd, verse 19. Again, two verses after sacrificing to them. Then, uh, next one, sorry. It's all in 19. It's all 19. See, 19 again, there it is. They stoned Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town. Why? Because they were thinking he was dead. They didn't just rough him up a little bit. They threw rocks at him and they drug him out of town because they thought they killed him. One moment of God. The next moment, laying in the dirt, being pummeled with stones. Um, this was not Paul's intention, right? This was not Paul's intention for them to worship him. What I do find interesting, and this is, this is probably a side note. Sorry if it's distracting. Um, just imagine the pain of this moment for Paul. You, you go somewhere giving your life to them. You preach the gospel to them. People start responding and you realize they're responding in a way that's totally different than what you wanted. You plead with them to turn away and they won't stop. They start killing animals. Another crowd shows up and convinces them that you're actually crazy. You're actually part of the problem. And then they try to kill you. Like, does that rhythm, does that pattern sound familiar at all? I mean, to me, there's so many ways that mirrors some of the general sweeps of the life of Jesus. Jesus's life, his service to us was marked by pain and disappointment. 
And we see that again here in Paul. And this is deep, life-altering pain. He didn't, go, he didn't go to Floyd Memorial after this, or I don't know, what's it called now? Baptist Health. He didn't go to Baptist Health afterwards, right? Like he's doing triage in carriages, walking down the side. How long do you think it took Paul? You ever been almost beaten to death? I've never met someone who thought they had been beaten to death. How long do you think it would take to get over that? You don't forget those things. When Paul says he carries around on his body the scars of Christ, the wounds of Christ, this is the kind of stuff he's talking about. And what strikes me is that if Jesus' service, Jesus the King of Kings, if his service caused him pain, we can't expect less for ourselves in his service. The Christian must have a category for godly pain in their life. We just must. And some of you grew up or have been exposed to churches where they sell you this idea that following Jesus will like every day will be better than the last and it'll always be happy and it'll always be easy. Uh, The biggest problem we have with that at this church is this book because we see people who knew Jesus and walked intimately with him and their lives were tough. They were filled with pain and heartache, disappointment, frustrations, which to me means that we have to cultivate the ability to endure rejection and physical and emotional pain. Uh, a, a task is not unworthy simply because it hurts. People may turn on us if we're not careful, if we try to build ourselves up as the object of their faith, at some point they will certainly turn on us. But even when our intentions are pure and beautiful, they may turn on us. And I think the way the story ends shows us that Paul was after something much greater than just a platform, much greater than just the applause of a crowd. So here's the third scene, the third scenario. Uh, so for, we got people may applaud you, people may turn on you. And the last one is that God may send you back. Uh, look, at, look at verse 30. As the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. What's the weird part about that? Is it the fact that he's not actually dead, right? How many people had to agree that he was dead for the mob to leave? So he's not actually dead. But you see that little thing there at the end? He went back. He went back into the town. Just try to imagine the scene here. Uh, There aren't paved roads back then. You know, he wasn't beat up in downtown New Albany. Uh, So Paul goes limping back, covered in dirt and blood, strutting through downtown. And part of me was like, was he trying to be tough? Like, not dead yet, y'all. You know what I mean? I got a bit better, right? Some of you know what I did right there. If you don't know, ask someone who chuckled. He needs some milk. Yeah, some of y'all, sorry. I can't, I shouldn't have done that right now. He's not dead, right? Now, there's other ways to make sense of this. Maybe he needed to go back to town. That's where like the medical care was, right? You're out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you got to go to town. We do funny things to try to justify what's going on in the scriptures. We know that he left the town, so maybe he had to go back because that's just where the transportation was, right? He had to go back to town, get some transportation out. Maybe. We know that he left. Uh, But watch what happens. Verse 21. After preaching the good news in Derby, this is where he went to. This is the town he went to. And making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned 
to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So I hope you guys are, are, are feeling the craziness of the story. They go to Derby and everything you want to happen happens. The, they encourage the disciples. They make new disciples. The, the church is built up. Like this is what we're hoping for. This is why we went to those first places to begin with, to see this kind of ministry take place. They have fruitful ministries and no near-death experiences. But then they go back. Not with a message of vengeance or anger, a message of encouragement, a message that says, hey, y'all, the Christian life is hard. If you want to hold on and make it into the kingdom of God, if you want to follow Christ and hold tightly to him, it will be difficult for you at times. You will suffer hardships and pain and discouragement. A much more sober message than what many of us hear. What compels somebody to do that? Wouldn't you be terrified to go back? I would be. I think the only, the only thing that can drive us past fear like that is love. The scripture puts it this way in 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love drives out fear. Let's leave that up there for a second. Perfect love drives out fear. So how do you overcome fear? It's with perfect love. Now, so clearly this is saying Paul's love for these people was perfect and that's how he got to not be afraid of them, right? Did Paul love those people perfectly? Y'all, why are you so scared still, church? This is an easy one. Did Paul love those people perfectly? No. How do I know that? Well, because in the other verses, he says things like, get along with everybody if you can. <laughs> you know, like, and some of them, you can't. <laughs> you know, like, live at peace if you can. Well, it's Paul's, surely this is Paul's perfect love for Jesus, right? He's, just, he's the second best Christian of all time. So sure, he just had it, he's just on another level. Perfect love for Jesus, right? No. Well, why? How can you say that, preacher? Well, because we got verses where Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do. I still do things that grieve Christ. I still do things that don't make sense to me. This, the perfect love that casts out fear is Jesus's perfect love for Paul. Here's why I think this was so profound for Paul. Was this Paul's first stoning? No, it was not. Paul was there watching and approving when a mob of angry Jews killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. The book of Acts says he was there approving. Paul knew what it was like to be in the crowd of people with rocks in their hands, uh, to be one of the murderers. He knew what it was like to be a murderer who is redeemed by Jesus. He knew what it was like to have a life of horrific mistakes. And this meant he knew what perfect love was. Or as 1 John puts it a few verses earlier, this is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent 
his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So what are we saying? Like, let's put this all together. What is this story? I think it's showing us something. The, the Bible, so much of it is written as a story so we can immerse ourselves in the story and try to see what is God showing us about how life works. I think the story is showing us a lot about our motivation as servants. The only motivation um, that will sustain us, that will carry us through the hardest times in life is God's love for us in Christ. That is the only motivation that can sustain us. One of the clearest indications of how well someone re is experiencing the love of God, how real the love of God is for someone, is to, is to look at their posture as a servant. And I'm not just saying, like, are they serving in Sojourn Kids? Or are they, you know, they have some church ministry that they check their box towards. What is their posture in life? Does all of their energy go back to themselves and building their own kingdom and getting their own desires met? This is someone who does not know the love of God. To experience the love of God in Christ, um, not perfectly, not completely, but it begins opening up our souls so that there will be this outward energy of serving others as Christ has served us. The person who will only serve in flashy ways. The person who will only serve if a microphone's involved. The person who only serves to be noticed. They just haven't experienced the depths of their brokenness and the power of Jesus's love. Maybe you're saying, but well, what about all the needs? You know, what about all the needs out there? We've got all this stuff to do. Like, I just don't think that we can allow ourselves to be motivated by love for people alone. If, if it's our love for the needy or our love for these kinds of people that will drive us or move us into service, then here's what will happen. Uh, we'll only serve those that we find worthy and we'll only continue serving so long as they respond the way we think they should. We're not motivated by the applause of the crowd. Many of the ways that we serve will be unremarkable but also because people will turn on us in this life. If you're new, whether here or to being a Christian, I want you to listen to this real carefully. In this life, people will reject you, they will hurt you, and they will cause you much pain. It's, it's just simply unavoidable. Maybe you go from church to church to church trying to find the place that has it figured out, that's, you know, like we're the first century church, you know, we've got it all. And it's terrifying for me because sometimes people will visit for so visit sojourn and be like, this is it, man. I, I've never been to a church like this before. You guys, this is incredible. And if that's where you are, I just want you to stay a bit longer and open your eyes. Um, we are a deeply messed up church. Um, and if, like, if you're like, no, you just say that, man, let's set up an appointment and I'll show you some emails that I've gotten in the last month. You know what I mean? Like, like there's lots of people that I offend, lots of people that I hurt, and it's not just me. You know that our church is filled with people? And as far as I can tell, no one is perfect yet. No one is fully redeemed in Christ, which means like even here in the church, even in a place where like we're trying so hard to be healthy, there's gonna be profound disappointments, profound hurts, profound miscommunications that will bring with it the temptation. Well, let's just go try another place. And what the Bible is telling us, not that any of this is okay, or that we should celebrate when we hurt one another or when you're hurt, but I think the Bible is trying to show us this is normal and it's to be expected. If, if we're only in this for how people will respond, at some point, eventually, you will burn out and grow bitter. If you keep looking for a place or a friendship or a church, 
that's pain-free, you will eventually become a burnt-out, angry, bitter person. We serve because we have been served. We serve because Christ served us. The scriptures say the love of Christ is what compels us. There is no motivation that can sustain us through trials and pain and suffering. Like what the scriptures say are unavoidable in this life. Nothing can carry us through that apart from the real tangible experience of God's presence and his love for us. Not everyone is gonna get called to go to dangerous places. Um, Just because something is dangerous or you might die doesn't mean that that's God's will for you to go there. But at the same time, um, just, just because something hurts doesn't mean it isn't God's will. There will be times where God's invitations will hurt us and, and only a deep, tangible awareness of his love will empower us to go there. Um, who does the book of Hebrews say that God disciplines? Those he loves. Man, y'all read the Bible. Praise the Lord. God disciplines those he loves. In that same section, does it say that that discipline is pleasant or unpleasant at the time? Unpleasant, which means that there will be times where God's love for you will feel like pain. And if his love for you isn't real, if his presence to you isn't real, something sideways will happen. So to the burnt out and the tired, what's God saying to you this morning? There's too many people here for me to figure out what God wants out of each one of you guys. But I'm confident he's telling all of you something. Maybe some of y'all, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody in a mess right now? Mm. I know some of y'all in messes. There's messes all over this church. And maybe the word for you this morning is don't give up. Maybe some of you are deeply hurt. You feel betrayed and you feel like it's not worth it anymore. Don't give up. Maybe that's the word for you. This is normal. Endure. Maybe for some of you, he's asking you to consider your motivations. Maybe for some of you, he's inviting you to go back to a place or a person that's hurt you. And if you hear that and it's like, yep, my mom, or yep, Jennifer, that's probably you. What's God saying to you? Some of you come feeling numb and like God is a distant memory or he's on the other side of the universe. What's God saying to you? Where are you serving? If all of the energy in your life steered back towards yourself, I'm gonna guess that you have some degree of depression and discontent in your life. I would guess that the concept of God's love for you feels very foreign and far away. Maybe not, could be other things. But a lot of time when I see a Christian's love go dull, the presence of God feels far from them, they've turned inward and our souls wither under that kind of narcissism. God has designed us to serve and we experience his love through service oftentimes. Where are you serving? Maybe it's your fear of rejection or failure that's keeping you on the sidelines. We could, I could go all day, but we late, y'all, so let's bring it home. If you want to experience Jesus, take him at his word and serve. I found the best way to learn to trust God is to trust God. And here's what I mean. This person came to mind when you said, is God calling you to talk to somebody? I'm not gonna do that. That's ridiculous, amen, right? Like, you know how many times they did this to me before? You know what they did? But I feel like I'm supposed to call them and say, hey, I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me and I love you. And if you're willing, I wanna make it work. You do that 
And then on the other end of that, you have this weird sensation in your soul, like God is real and he's with me. And then all of a sudden your capacity to trust him has ballooned a little bit and you start doing crazier and crazier and crazier stuff. Perfect love casts out fear. The love of Christ compels us. The opportunities here are almost endless. There is no pitch. There is no sign up for this ministry happening right now. But listen, if you want to experience the love of Christ, serve, trust him, take him at his word. We come to communion to remember the perfect love of God and to receive a pure motivation to remember why we serve. And listen, I've this is the time where we usually pack up and think about running and getting our kids, right? Like, I, I know it. We do the same thing. But just try to picture what is happening here. What if I told you, hey, y'all, I've got a ministry opportunity for you, and here's what's going to happen. Uh, your buddies are going to set you up to be falsely arrested. They're going to act like they don't know you, and then they're going to totally abandon you. I'm just guessing that the sign-up sheet for that ministry would not be very high, um, did any of that surprise Jesus? Did he not see it coming? Did he not know what was waiting for him? And what does he do? To these dudes that he knew what they were about to do to him, he looks at them and says, hey, this is my body and it's broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. Can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine, what are you talking about, Jesus? If I'm Judas, I'm just trying to play it cool at this point, Right? I hope I don't get busted. And Jesus looks right at him and says, this is my body broken for you. Do this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he takes a cup of wine and says, this is what will seal your relationship with God. This is what will seal the new covenant. It's not your obedience to me. It's not your service to me. It's not your commitments to me. It's my bloodshed for you. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. If you're here and not a Christian, this is real love. Not that you've loved God, not that you've put your life together, not that you've figured it out, not that you're just shucks, such a nice person. You know you're not. You know you're not a good person. I don't need to convince you of that. That's one of our fundamental beliefs as a church. We're all messed up. We're all turning from God and there's not one of us who's good. And into that, God says, I've loved you so much that I gave my son to die for you. How do you feel about service like this? How do you feel about love like this? Do you find that compelling? And if you do, if you're interested, here's one of the most dangerous prayers that you can pray. God, show me you're there. God, show me you're real. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Pray that prayer and watch what he'll do in your life. If you're here and you are a Christian, burnt out, tired, feeling far from him, come and receive the love of Christ. Again, a tangible reminder that he's with us, that he saved us and we're safe with him. I'll pray for us. Uh, our tradition is to come forward. Did I do this part already? Okay, I get confused easy. You rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. The wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. You can use whichever you'd like. And if you'd like gluten-free elements, it'll be to my left, your right. I'll pray. And then the, the Christians, you can come forward as you're ready. Let's pray.